0: Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes, your host for this episode of ASRM Today. On this episode, our guest is Dr. Alan Penzias, who's going to talk about the fourth update from the COVID-19 Task Force. Dr. Penzias, thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Dr. Penzias, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your role on the COVID Task Force.
0: I'm a physician member of the ASRM COVID-19 Task Force. I'm the director of the Fellowship Program in Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston and associate professor of obstetrics, gynecology, and reproductive biology at Harvard Medical School. I'm also a practicing physician at Boston IVF and chair of the practice committee of the ASRM. I have expertise in evidence-based medicine and guideline development, and I hope that my application of that experience to this pandemic will help us work our way back to fulfilling our mission of treating patients.
1: Can you give a brief synopsis of what ASRM has published on COVID to date?
0: In a recommendation issued on March 17th, that initial recommendation called for a temporary pause in the initiation of new infertility treatments. The pandemic had just come to the United States, and we saw the reports coming out of China and Italy with never-before-seen strains on their healthcare infrastructure. We understood the gravity of the situation and were quickly learning about how the disease is transmitted. Recommending a temporary halt to fertility treatment was not done lightly, as we, fertility practitioners, have devoted our careers to helping those who are devastated by infertility and to others who require medically-assisted reproduction. On March 31st, the first update to the initial recommendations was published. And in it, the task force reaffirmed the recommendation to suspend initiation of new treatment in anyone other than those with emergency situations, such as perhaps a cancer patient in need of oocyte cryopreservation. It provided clarifying statements which affirmed that infertility is a serious, time-dependent disease and called attention to the devastating impact of the mental health of our patients. We also strongly encouraged the use of telehealth for communicating with our patients and including scheduling visits with mental health practitioners. Two weeks thereafter on April 13th, in the four short weeks that just followed the initial recommendation with update number two, we had learned a significant amount about the disease transmission and we began to see different regions of the country where the prevalence curve had begun to flatten. Knowing that we are going to have to learn to live in a world where COVID-19 exists, we signaled that we were preparing to provide a framework for the resumption of care. Two weeks thereafter, on April 24th, update number three was a major shift. In update number three, we recognized the temporary halt to treatment, along with other societal changes, had helped change the trajectory of the disease. In update number three, we provided a detailed framework for clinics to use to assess their local conditions and disease prevalence, recommended a series of indicators that could be used to signal the resumption of care, and provided practices with important tools to perform a formal risk assessment, and create a risk mitigation strategy that is flexible and responsive to the changing landscape of COVID-19 pandemic. All of this is designed to help clinics resume the important task of taking care of our patients while minimizing the risk to the patients and, importantly, to the clinic staff. And I think that the last sentence is really critical because we acknowledge that until we have a cure for COVID-19 where the virus is eradicated in all aspects of our lives, we will be tinged with that element of risk mitigation. We as healthcare providers have chosen to take on the obligation to provide care to patients who need it. In the case of infertility, this means doing so in an environment where risk is minimized but not eliminated.
1: Dr. Penzias, what is the main thrust of update number four?
0: The main thrust of update number four focused on four different areas. Testing was number one. We provide an update on testing since this topic in particular seems to change every few days. It's become fairly clear that testing for the presence of viral RNA using PCR yields the greatest immediate diagnostic benefits. In a symptomatic individual, viral RNA is detectable as early as day one of symptoms and peaks within the first week of detection. Positivity usually starts to decline by week three. However, in severely ill hospitalized patients, PCR positivity may persist for three weeks and beyond after the illness onset. In asymptomatic individuals, or those with only mild symptoms, the viral testing may be negative, a false negative, when in fact that individual may be infectious. We also talk about the fact that not all test kits are equally effective, and this has led to some confusion, but nonetheless, incorporating testing as a part of patient and staff management strategies when accurate tests become widely available is recommended. We also describe a new category of test, and that is of antigen testing. As of the issuance of update number four, there was one approved antigen test that quickly detects fragments of proteins found on or within the virus when testing samples collected from the nasal cavity using swabs. This could prove especially useful in reducing the time from sample collection to results from three to four days to two days to even as soon as within hours or even 15 minutes. We also reiterated that serologic testing for antibodies was useful for population studies but should not be used to diagnose the disease nor to give an, quote-unquote, immunity passport. Another major area that was assessed and spoken about in update number four was with regard to pregnancy. We summarized what we currently know about the impact of COVID-19 on pregnant women and their newborns. In general, the news is good. Full-term newborns born from mothers with active COVID-19 have done well overall as a group. Severe illness, including COVID-19, is known and may precipitate premature labor or lead to early delivery, but in a series of nine women, Affected with COVID-19 delivered via C-section, there was no viral RNA seen in amniotic fluid, cord blood, or breast milk. We also state what we don't know yet, and that is that there's no data on the fetus when a woman contracts COVID-19 in the first or second trimester. As fertility providers, we can play an important role in determining the impact of COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2 in pregnancy, and the optimal management of pregnant patients. We call in the document for reproductive care providers and their patients to participate in studies that will help understanding these issues and provide a link to what's being called the ASPIRE study to help study this from conception forward. A third area covered in update number four speaks to third-party reproduction. In the update, we addressed an important segment of fertility care, which is the use of donor sperm, donor eggs, and gestational carriers. We addressed issues attendant to mitigating risk to sperm and egg donors, as well as gestational carriers who are undergoing treatment to help our patients, and we recommended enhanced FDA screening of the gamete donors and carriers to mitigate risk to our intended parents. And finally... We also spoke to personal protective equipment, the ubiquitous PPE. We revised the recommendations that were published in a table in update number three, based on additional guidance from OSHA and from infectious disease consultants, basically focusing on the risk of aerosolization and droplet spread as a vector and being able to remove the recommendation for the use of face shields and other fairly routine low-risk procedures.
1: What is the update responding to? And by that I mean, is it increased understanding, changes in CDC and governmental guidance, etc.?
0: Update number four is really responding to refinements more than new developments. It's really the refinements in our understanding of critical components of risk mitigation.
1: One final question for you, Dr. Penzias. The ASRM COVID-19 Task Force has issued updates to the recommendations every two weeks until now. The next update is expected in four weeks. Why the change?
0: The rapid pace of new developments seen at the start of the pandemic has begun to slow. We believe that the ASRM recommendations have provided clinics with a solid basis for creating an environment that minimizes risks to patients and to staff. The framework also calls for clinics to develop their own internal teams to monitor developments and adapt protocols as new knowledge emerges. We believe that we've given many tools to the practices to help them face this pandemic and to continue to provide the care that our patients need.
1: I've been speaking today with Dr. Alan Penzias about the fourth update of the COVID-19 Task Force. Dr. Penzias, thank you for being with us today.
0: My pleasure.